0: Hey, everyone, Mitchell here. Before we start the show, a huge thank you to the Walton Family Foundation. Thanks for the continued support this season. Hey, everyone, welcome back to the Fieldwork Podcast. Mitchell Hora with you, the farmer from Iowa. We're up here in Michigan now. Todd and I are still out on our fun adventure where we're going and visiting different farms and uh, bringing you guys some stories from out where all the magic is happening. I'm really excited about today's episode. I think so many people are going to be so encouraged by this and so inspired. I know that I really am. And um, we're up here in Southeast Michigan um, with Brad and Mitchell Brisley. And these guys are some young guys, um, 24 and 22 years old, running a, their family operation and really making it work and going down the soil health journey figuring this all out learning taking chances but protecting the risk and doing things i think really the way that that folks should be looking at implementing on their farm and their story is really really inspiring um but excited to be up here and and hanging out with these guys today being able to capture it for everyone on the fieldwork podcast so enjoy this episode and let us know what you think I'm here with brothers Brad and Mitchell. Mitchell, I'll start with you uh, since you know we got the same same name. You know, I don't think we've ever interviewed another Mitchell before on the podcast, so this is a big deal. It's a big moment for me. But explain to us, you know, who you are, where we're at today. Just kind of set the stage.
1: So I'm Mitchell, uh, out of Manchester, Michigan. Uh, grew up on a farm. 24 years old. Um, grew up a family farm. My dad started uh, fresh out of high school. You know, big part of it of our whole life. Um, when I was 13, my dad was killed in a farming accident. Uh, kind of changed things a lot, but uh, my brother Brad and I were not wanting to be done with farming. Uh, luckily our grandparents were willing to continue it for us until we were old enough. Um, 2018, we had a farm manager that was running it for us and he was offered a job elsewhere. Um, and it was kind of a slap of reality that, you know, now's it's time for us to start. Uh, I wasn't quite 21, Brad was 19. And uh, it was, I don't know, February or March, I want to say, that he decided. And, uh, you know, it was a challenging year. It was all of a sudden, all right, yeah, it's not just being told what to go put in the ground. It's you got to decide. Um, and it was an interesting year. Uh, at that time, we were on 20-inch twin row corn Um uh, we weren't a big fan of it, but it, we didn't have much time to change. It was, we had to get corn in the ground and beans in the ground. And uh, oddly enough, there's a lot of stuff that didn't work. We, you know, we used to have a fertilizer spreader, self-propelled at uh variable rate that wasn't working. And we threw parts at it and threw parts at it. And it, it just got to
0: the point where we couldn't. I got to um, slow you down here, Mitch. We're going like a million. We got to, I got like 85 questions here already. <laughs> so okay. hold on, hold on. We got to go in order here. So, okay. 2018. Was when you guys are now saying, "All right, we got to go," and yep. this was February twenty eighteen. Yep, and we got to put seed in the ground in two months, two yep. and a half months. And it was. And are you? You're back around here and like helping on the farm, so, or you're uh, going to school, I, or what I are you? A, what are you doing? Are you working off the farm?
1: I had a full time job. I was a foreman over at the uh, Celine DPW. Um, I was the forestry and cemetery and grounds foreman there. So I was just farming on the side, you know, alpha of work. And I also had cattle of my own at my place. Um, Brad was the one that he decided it was time. It was best for him to become full time on the farm. He had just came off a of harvesting crew and it's just kind of how things laid out. Yeah. So
0: Brad, you were 19 at this time, I think we said, right? So yep. you were graduated from high school, So, but I, like barely, but you were living on the farm right here right where we're sitting today in basically we're in Southeast Michigan. Mm. Um, so you were on the farm, but- you So what, we were just saying, so you went on the wheat run or something like that or harvesting yeah. right out of college, and but you were so, still around the farm?
2: Right out of high school, yep. I went on Harvest Crew, and so I had you know kind of just got back from Harvest Crew and actually wasn't living here on the farm at the time because the farm manager was, uh, and I had just started full-time college, so... There was quite a change with that, you know, full-time college and kind of figuring out where we're going to be on the farm. And then uh, the farm manager left and I moved in here and we started taking over stuff. And it was just, there's a lot of change at once, but, you know, we handled it and got through it and so everything.
0: Where were you going to college at at the time? And did you have to like basically just stop that so, and come back? Or what was that story?
2: No, luckily I had chose to go into college at Jackson Community College. They have a an egg tech program. So it was close. I could commute, you know, not very far. I was thinking about going to Michigan State and uh, I was kind of glad I didn't because I would have probably had to drop going to Michigan State to do this. So I was able to handle college and the
0: farm for you know quite a while and got through that. And what East Lansing would be maybe an hour and a half from here or yeah. something like that. So yeah. that'd be just far enough. Jackson is maybe half hour. Right. So a little bit closer kind of commute, um, but yeah, able to, to come back and be able to do this. But what was that? decision like i mean it was i mean you're 19 years old and it's like well i guess you know i guess somebody's gonna have to do it or else the farm i'm assuming the decision was we're either renting out the farm or we're gonna have to go in and do this on our own How yeah so that?
2: i mean we were at the point to uh you know we were still pretty young and we did look at another farm manager for a little bit but then you know we kind of realized well we're gonna have to kind of train the farm manager so if we're going to train the farm manager why don't we just do it herself. Yeah. And so that's where we started. And I, yeah, pretty so, much how that went. So
0: you were 19 at that time, but Brad, you're, what are you now? 21? 22. No, you're 22 now and, yep. and Mitchell, you're 24. So, um, so obviously it's all still, that's what is, you know, is amazing to me. And we'll get into the story on kind of, you know, how we came to be here, but um tee this up just a little bit more on, on Brad, you know, how, how many acres, what do you guys farm? What kind of crops, things like that.
2: So right now we're a little bit above 1,500 acres, kind of diverse for the area a little bit. We farm corn, beans, wheat, and we do alfalfa too. So with the wheat, it gives us a good option for the full season cover crop mix and all that. Uh, We're just trying to get as much in there as we can.
0: So, and then Mitchell, you you were telling the story that you were trying to till and you blew up the tractor, which is as, as good of a sign as any that, okay, we're going to have to change. Maybe we don't need to do this. Or, or how'd you take that at the time? I'm sure there was maybe a couple choice words when it happened at first, but then how, how did that story actually happen? This was spring of 2019? 2018. This all happened in the same year. Um, so I
1: actually remember I was out, uh, feeding cattle and I heard Brad come down the road with the tractor and all of a sudden it just, you look out the the road and you can't see the windshield because there's oil just blowing
0: everywhere. Oh, so this is on the road. Yeah, you weren't actually I, even no, doing, you weren't doing tillage work no, at the time. You are just driving.
1: I live on a paved road. So it was one of those, he wasn't going to stop. I mean, it's a four wheel drive tractor that you know, he came rolling into the driveway and got it off in the yard. And that's where it sat for probably six months. Um, the rod went through the side of the block and, you know, we'd already felt the stress of a lot of things, the fertilizer truck, not running we, you know, we were already behind and, and there was so much unknown cause we've never had to make all these decisions before. We had a 44 foot field cultivator and we were trying to pull it with a 300 horse from assist tractor. And it just, over here it doesn't work um, you know luckily we were able to fold the wings up but there was a lot of raise it up and don't look back type thing just make it look good but the hard part was uh we didn't have another tractor that was an option for it and the corn planter we had at the time needed so much hydraulics that was our only option tractor so uh you know it was a lot of something i didn't enjoy having to plan to fit the field and then hope that you can get the planter in it you know, after you unhook, it's not start planning behind like it used to be. And um, and my dad no-tilled a lot of beans. And it was just one of those things, I guess I looked at no-till more or less at the beginning, before the cover crop side of things, just as, as less equipment, less input. And me and Brad wanted to be able to do everything we could on our own, trying to find work around here. Luckily, I got a great brother-in-law who helps out as much as he can, but he also has a full-time job. So Trying to find somebody that's reliable, that wants to, you know, put in the hours that we do, it gets to be hard. So it was one of those where we could just, if we could do more ourselves, that's what we wanted to do. And, uh, you know, it was an old tractor. So trying to replace something that high horsepower is not cheap.
0: Well, and with the turnaround time that you guys needed too. Right. And uh, so let's go back even just a little bit more. So you said your dad actually started the farm or was it a family farm before that? Maybe tee up that story and so, kind of when did that happen, the timing and stuff?
1: So my great grandpa uh, had a dairy farm over in Chelsea and that's about as far back as I know. I think, I don't know exactly where it stemmed if he started it or not.
0: How far away is Chelsea from here?
1: About 12, 15 miles.
0: Okay. So pretty close. Yeah,
1: My great grandpa had five kids, I think. And my grandpa... Uh, Farmed with him for a little bit, but he worked full-time at Ford and just kind of had a 160-acre farm that he did on his own. My dad really wanted to start farming in high school. He graduated in 1982, so he graduated at a bad time to start farming. You know, at least that's what they say. Yeah, terrible times. And surprisingly enough, he started with no-till for the simple reason of he could cover more ground. He was working full-time and, you know, he didn't need the labor. Uh, as he grew, he went away from no-till and started doing more tillage. But uh, my grandpa was always helping my dad, and my dad, you know, started from nothing and and was always working. That's, and that's what I loved about it. All summer, I can remember, we always called them irritators because we would never put up good irrigators. We always had crappy ones. So I was always the kid out in the cornfield, hand me this, hand me that. We got to go work on the irrigators. So, um, you know, it was a lot of hard work, and, and I'm, I'm surprised. I wish I could ask him why he went away from no-till, but, you know, I think I think, it's, I think it'd be good, happy with what we're doing and going back to this style. So, Well,
0: being able to go back, but a lot of it's, yeah, been labor and been how we're going to manage. And so there is a lot of irrigation around here. I like that you guys call them irritators instead yeah. of irrigators. But the size of the operation, like you've, I mean, you've got pretty good size farm and in in 2018 was it the 1500 acres that it was now or kind of maybe size that up just a little bit and brad yeah what no what i, I was think at story? the time
2: we were like 1100 acres so yeah. we've we've grown it's since grown a then bit. but uh we did take quite a stumble the last year my dad was around we were 3200 acres so you know there was some personal connection that got lost with him passing away and it, you know we it we took a stumble and we we're just kind of on the rebuild for a little while uh, we actually kind of came from a pretty nasty tillage system. We were conventional corn on corn or corn on corn irrigated, and we were actually moldboard plowing in the fall, and then field cultivating once or twice in the spring. Wow. So it's it's been quite the change from that.
0: But that's pretty well like the common thing around here, right? Or what's kind of tee up kind of where we're at, you know, and the the common practices around here. I mean, it seems like a lot of that stuff is still fairly normal.
2: So yeah, around here, there's still quite a bit of tillage. Not many people mow road plowing still. A lot of chisel plowing, some ripping. Uh, there's not too many people no-tilling. And I guess I wouldn't say there's anybody that's 100% no-till. You know, there's still a lot of guys using the inline ripper and stuff like that. So we're kind of on the, like I'd say, leading edge of that. And cover crops aren't really a real big thing around here.
0: Yeah. I know so, we, uh, so start that story, you know, so it's 2018 and we can't really get all the tillage done. Is that when you guys started no tilling or? So all of our corn acres got tilled done because we didn't really have much of an option for
2: that. Uh, we didn't plant nearly as much corn that year. So our soybeans were all no tilled except for a little bit. And that made it easier But then uh, I kind of our cover crop start was in the summer that year. We had uh, wheat that we took off and then we actually worked up a field and spread on some would have been clover and radish and just kind of packed it in. And that was the start of it.
0: And how'd that come about? So you had the wheat and then typically what most people take off wheat and then they just kind of leave it fallow till the next year and they work it and they just kind of wait.
2: Yeah. Grandpa had done it a couple times before and I didn't, you know, I didn't like the idea of having to go spray it and everything because we didn't have our own sprayer at the time and, you know, I didn't want to go work it up. So we were kind of looking for a cheaper option at the time to keep the weeds down and it was a pretty hilly field. So it's, you know, minimize erosion. And so we actually just went to our local co-op and just got a blend of, you know, clover radish and that's how we started
0: so clover and radish and was there any like cost share or anything like that or did you talk to the nrcs people or extension or anything or just go to the co-op and hey uh can i plant some cover crops instead of going and working this field again or
2: yeah that's pretty much what it was you know we didn't do any cost share or anything like that it was a smaller field that we tried it on it was only about 45 acres so in the terms of thing, it was
0: smaller, mm-hmm. close to home. So we could kind of watch it and, you know, see what it's going to do and everything. And then what happened that fall? Like after, so you got through harvest, how did the year turn out? Because it's you guys' first year now farming this on your own. How how it go? Uh,
2: 2018 for us, we had a pretty ugly growing year. We didn't get much rain when we needed. And we didn't have a good way to side dress our nitrogen for our corn. So we spun on a lot of urea and then put 28 through the pivot. So our irrigated corn wasn't, you know, that great, but our dry land corners were, now we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, they, were, they were really they were bad, so.
0: But especially as you're putting on urea, which is a dry fertilizer, it really needs some rain to be able to actually get it down into the soil. And if you don't have rain, that urea is probably just sitting on top of the surface, not doing anything.
2: Right. Yeah. So I think here at the home farm, we had corn here and we separated the dry land from the irrigated because we insured them differently and... There was a lot of like four foot tall corn that we harvested in. I think the average for the dry land that year on the air or the dry land corners here was 33 bushel.
1: I mean, you got to remember, too, this wasn't 30 inch corn. This was we were doing 20 inch corn twin row. Right. So it was, really it was every packed seven in. inches. here's yeah. 20 inches and then seven inches next to that was a row of corn. So it's combining it. I couldn't run the combine. I, I couldn't do it because we had a 20 inch head and uh, I ran it and I, you can't you can't see rows. You just set your auto steer and go. Yeah. And I I ran it for a couple passes. And I told Brad, I'm like, I I can't do this. You got to take it back. It's screwing with my head. It's irritating. I can't see. And uh, so that was
0: there's just corn everywhere out right. there. It's like, where do we gotta go? Uh
1: 2018 was the last year we had the uh 20-inch drills Um 2019, we decided to make the switch back to 30. Um, the planner we had was a Stein deal. Uh so it was a big planner. It was kind of a unicorn to get rid of. And um, 2019, we still had it, yeah, probably early April, we were still sitting on it. And it was one of those things, we needed to sell that corn planter to buy another corn planter. Um, so, we also didn't know if we were going to be able to keep the one tractor. We thought we might have to sell a tractor just to kind of, you know, sw- swap some money around and get us some time. So, we started building a six-row, um, and we were going to pull it with a 4430, so. and uh, the big thing, we had went to the Louisville, the farm machinery show, and at this point, we hadn't even decided what we're doing for a planter. We want to talk to the precision guys, because we're we're very big into precision, my dad was. And uh, on the way home, we decided the talk was between an eight-row or a six-row. And we didn't know if the 4430 would pull an eight-row in the hills, so we decided, all right, let's do it. We're going to build a six-row, but we're going to make it high-speed. And the amount of looks we got from people, and you tell them, oh, you got a six-row, it's 15 feet wide, but I can plant corn at 12 mile an hour. It was... Uh It's it's something I'll always cherish that we had. And, you know, we're going to have that talk of you guys had that six row. We we called it the super six.
0: That is awesome. Um, Because, yeah, I mean, a six row planter, but you guys are pretty hilly around here. And yeah, so six rows because of the horsepower and the ability to kind of get into corners and stuff. But yeah, planting 12 mile an hour going up and down. You got to hang on tight.
1: Right. So, um, you know, surprisingly, we started building a six row and about a week later, somebody bought the corn planter, the old one. So we were able to actually put our 200 horse front wheel assist tractor on there, which looked even funnier. You know, we used to pull a 12 row with that same plant or tractor and now we're pulling a six row, but you know, it worked out good. Um, it was one of those things. It was a 7,000 frame. So no till was, it had delta force on it and it, it didn't do great. Um, this year we actually swapped back over to a 12 row center fill and we're hoping that's going to be a heavier frame for no till and kind of push it in the next direction.
0: But let, let's back up just a little bit back to the, the fall of 2018 kind of stuff. Okay, so the yields were not, not great, had some crop insurance claims, um, had the little bit of cover crop that was going at that time. So what were those conversations like on the tillage decisions, but also conversations with, are we talking to the banker at this time or how is this actually working? And Brad, yeah, what, what was going on? So I think at
2: that time, our main focus was how we were going to get back on 30-inch corn because it just seemed to do better for us. Uh, And we'd done it, you know, we'd done the twin 20 system for one year and tried it and realized it didn't work and it wasn't the direction we wanted to pursue. So that was kind of our main focus was how we were going to get back on 30-inch corn. We like no-till and soybeans. We didn't change a whole lot with that system. Uh, You know, added cover crops in there and all that. So that was what we were looking at.
0: So it was going to no-till on the beans, which is pretty easy, and that's, that's the kind of initial starting point. You guys had seen that for a long time, so that wasn't anything too crazy. But did you get on more cover crops in the fall of 18, or, or it was just still the one, uh, the one field?
2: Nope. Fall of 18, we actually didn't do any cover crops yet. The only cover crop we had would have been that summer mix. We didn't start doing fall cover crops until the fall of 19 when we spread on some cereal rye. Okay.
0: So fall of 19 with cereal rye. So you've got your planter going for the spring of 2019, able to do the 30 inch corn, just six rows at a time, running running a little dizzy as you're going 12 mile an hour, six rows at a time, you're turning around a lot. So you're back and forth, back and forth, but how did it turn out? That we, 2019,
2: we broke records for our yield and everything. So that was a big eye opener. You know, we had a really wet year here in 2019 a really wet spring. So it was kind of a later start. But us being on sand that year was uh, it was really nice for that, and so that was quite the eye opener when we you know broke record yields and all that for the whole farm as far as we could
0: look back. What about the forty five acre field that had the cover crops on it? How'd that one turn out?
2: So that was a little interesting. I didn't we didn't plan on planting that green at the time. We didn't have a sprayer, and that was actually one of our last fields planted. It was probably second third week in May. You know we were later here. And, uh, we, it was our last field, we wanted to get done and I called the co-op up and I said, Hey, can you, are you guys going to be able to come spray list, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they said, yeah, we'll we'll be there. We'll be there. Don't worry about it. So I planted it green and that was interesting. It was so weird because the clover was quite tall and it took some adjusting. You know, you look back and you didn't see rows really. You just, you didn't really see the planter much. I think for the first acre, I got out and I dug so many times and looked and looked and I'm like, well, it, the planter's doing its job and it's doing a good job of it. It's closing the trench up. We're getting the depth. And so we continue to do it. And we got that field finished. And the next day we got, in the next two days, we got five inches rain. Wow. So... That was a really hilly field and that field didn't have any washouts. But the problem was, it was probably like a week and a half to two weeks later before the co-op could even come and spray it. So at that point, the corn was actually up and they came and sprayed it. Well, we had the issue. They tried to do a one pass system on it, put all the residual down too, and we didn't get a good kill on the clover. So throughout the whole summer, we had the clover and the corn kind of competing and I don't think the corn really rooted down. And so that that field did struggle the whole year. It was kind of one of those first learning curves that we went through.
0: So, because when you're planting it, the radishes would have died in the winter. Right. So, it was just clover. What kind of clover was there? Do you remember what? I believe it was red clover. Red clover. Oh, so it's a perennial here too. Mm-hmm. So, perennial red clover. So, yeah, it definitely wouldn't have killed all that easily.
2: No, it. there was a lot that you know stayed alive. And I do remember there was spots when we side dressed it that actually got killed off. And that corn looked really good through there. Yeah. It had a nice color to it. And I was amazed how much the soil loosened up just in that spot. I remember getting out and it was starting to rain and just sifting it through my hands and wondering, like, how how did it loosen up like that? Yeah,
0: so you were seeing some soil health gains and the soil tilth and stuff right mm-hmm. away. But yeah, red clover is really tough. It's a perennial, so it's multi-years. It's going to come back tougher to kill than some other kinds of clover and other cover crops but where you got a good kill it worked really well where you didn't yeah it struggled i've seen the exact same type of thing from my farm where you know if corn is kind of a wimp so if you've got other things competing with it yeah it can be it can be pretty tough but so i'm assuming then yield didn't turn out to be that great on that field in 2019 but um that's when you went to to using some rye rather than going back to try to do clover right away anyway
2: yeah. So we also had the problem, all the residual chemical kind of, it didn't stick around. And so we had a lot of foxtail that came through the corn. So there was a lot of grass and yeah, yield was lower than everything else on that field. So it wasn't great. That's when we kind of changed. That's when we really got our own sprayer and realized that if we're going to go no-till and cover crops, the timing of being able to terminate is very important. And being able to control that, you know, your best ability is a big thing.
0: And what was that decision like for you guys, Brad, that, you know, it was, okay, here, we did this cover crop. It didn't work that great in year one. Like, I mean, a lot of people would probably be kind of discouraged, but you're saying, hey, no, we want to go this route. And we want to do that. Or was it kind of a, a fight or what, how, how did that conversation go that you're like, well, it didn't work that great, but let's do it again. You know, like, I, I mean, it seems kind of counterintuitive to how most people would think about it. Yeah. Mitchell, what do you, what do you think?
1: I'll give the cover crop thing hundred percent to Brad. It was always, you know, I want to try this. And um, all I ever knew was like he said, what grandpa tried on the wheat and that first year it didn't go good. And I, he said, I want to try it again. And for some reason I was just like, okay, well, you know, I trust you. You, you did your research, you know. And somehow it turned around the next year and it made quite the difference to where I was like, all right, yeah, you, I remember, I don't remember what year it was. I got out of the combine after seeing the yields of comparison. I was like, well, you just won me over. You ain't got to worry about not planting cover crop again. We can put as much cover crop in as you want. I just saw it on the computer that it, you know, made enough of a difference for me to continue. So.
0: Yep. So you had the rye that you would have planted in the fall of 2020, this is spring of 2021 on, yeah, a field that typically is not good, but yeah the manure out there and the cover crop was holding onto the manure for you.
1: Right. And originally we put the cereal rye in. Uh, I was planning on mowing it and baling it um, for feed for the cattle and decided against it. Uh, it just wasn't going to work. So I went in and planted it. Um 10 o'clock at night. I'd never really planted green before, I had the six row, and it was on my field, so I could do what I wanted. I planted that field as fast as I possibly could. I was like, I want to see what this planer will do. I think I was doing 13, 14 mile an hour. Just, I'm like, if it doesn't come up, it's on me. You know, it's Brad can't blame me for this. Uh, he let me run the combine in that field. The year before, I think it averaged 100 bushel. We had corn on it, put corn on it again for 21. Uh, I stepped out of the combine, the field averaged 219. Holy crap. And that, that's, we'll never, I don't think we'll ever make that again. I mean, it just, everything laid out perfect this year for it with the rain. That corn, I mean, we had good rain, but that corn never curled, never went, you know, it was always a dark green, consistent. And I mean, this field is, I didn't buy this field for field. This just came with the farm and it, I mean, rocks and gravel. And it's, that's where I got out of the combine. I was like, whatever you want to put in for cover crop, you just tell me because you just want me over there.
0: That is awesome. So, but the key thing there was, okay, corn and cereal rise, not necessarily always the best thing to right. do because it's a grass into a grass, but you had the manure. And the biggest thing it sounds like was the water holding capacity. Was this the first year with cover crop on that farm or was it a couple of so, years into using covers?
2: That field it actually came from hay a couple of years before. So it would have been in uh, 2020, we actually mowboard plowed that down and planted corn into it. And then we had the corn and then the cereal rye and then corn again so yeah it was a pretty heavy carbon mix but we uh we got the manure out there which i wasn't really gonna credit the manure that much nitrogen but i think it did help some
0: so now at this point now mitchell you're bought in here but this is just this past fall fall of 2021 i mean you guys are new into this started it in what it would have been started cover crop in the summer of 2018 Just a little bit of cover crop in the fall of 2018, a little bit more cover in the fall of 2019, fall of 2020, Brad, it was what percentage, because then it was finally not till this past fall that now you've got Mitchell like, all right, let's do it.
2: So fall of 2020, I'd say we probably had about 40% of our acres covered. You know, we had, we had done some stuff with the summer covers and we hadn't seen much we hadn't compared much for the fall coverage you know the rye in the fall and stuff like that and hadn't got into a whole lot of mixes like now we do a rye hairy vetch mix after beans going back to corn the next year so we were still kind of dabbling our toes in that a little bit you know we like to kind of prove something before we go full scale with it around here
0: where are you guys at now so now it's going to be you know, basically no-till or minimum and cover crop on everything, or what? Or what's it? What's the outlook looking like?
2: So for twenty-two, we'll be one hundred percent no-till. Uh, fall of twenty-one was very, very wet, so we tried to get in as much cover crop as we could, but it just got got late and it was wet. So I think we got probably sixty to seventy percent of stuff covered. But right now, we have it planned that one hundred percent for fall of twenty twenty-two will be covered.
0: We'll be right back after this short break. So have you been able to go after this, like with any kind of safety net? I mean, what about, are you able to still do crop insurance? What's the banker think? How have those kind of conversations been? Yeah, Brad, what, what are are they saying? I don't know about this too. Like, are are they pushing back as well?
2: No, not necessarily. Both the crop insurance agent we work with really likes cover crops and, you know, has a past with some experience of it. And our banker, you know, leans towards it, he sees where it is actually beneficial and everything. So we're not necessarily getting pushback in that, but it's just still a new thing and they, they just kind of want approved and all that. Uh, Michigan has some pretty good termination rights. I think we can terminate after we plant. I think it's got to be before it's up. So that helps some, um, you know, we don't have strict guidelines and when it has
0: to be planted and when it has to be terminated able to be pretty loose with it because are you able to get like cost share and stuff on this now or or are you just doing this out of your own pocket
2: now we're just doing it out of our own pocket you know we've seen the yield benefits to it and the long-term benefits uh in 2019 when we did the rye we got cost share for that
0: okay so cost share on it just one year but now you're doing it all out of your own pocket i mean how do you make this pencil out
2: so we've done a lot of side by side comparisons uh, with and without cover crops and no till, not and not co- no till. So that's kind of where we base a lot of it off of. Uh, we seem to be seeing results earlier than most would. So most of it, yeah, will pay for itself in the year just the cover crops with yield, ben- or with yield benefits alone. And uh, yeah, our reduction, I'd say, would come from equipment cost and fuel and labor not necessarily fertility and chemistry yet. You know, our chemistry bill has gone up some, that's kind of where we get it from.
0: Yeah. But being able to just make it work so much more efficiently for you guys' operation. And now you've been able to expand the operation and stuff too. I mean, does that have anything to do with the practices that you're doing or that's just kind of by happenstance, you know, you guys have been able to now grow and pick up some more acres.
2: I think we're able to do a little bit more because, you know, We're no till now and we can handle a little more, but some of that is just happenstance and we're getting the chance to get more acreage.
0: Yeah. And folks that are looking at, you know, you guys being able to, I'm assuming you're renting it or are you able to buy some of that ground too?
2: No, we're renting most of what we, what we farm now.
0: Yeah. So where do you think this can go, I suppose, for like your profitability and stuff? Cause yeah, I agree that I don't think you're going to see major you know, soil changes and really being able to get the nutrient side to go in just a short amount of time that you guys have been doing this. And really, you're still in the early part of the journey that even today, not everything has covers on it. It's pretty early, but where do you, what do you want to see this year, I guess? And what do you, what are you looking for? What are some of those trials that you're looking at this year?
2: So we're kind of starting a new venture. We went and bought six cows and a bull, and we're going to start pasturing cover crops and trying to do that. So that's kind of our, our new thing for this year. We got to get some fences up. That's what I was
0: going to say. There's a big pile of fence posts sitting out here <laughs> by the shed. It looks like somebody's got some work to do here.
2: Yeah, that'll be something we got to get done this summer. And we got a couple farms that we own that we're going to start that on. And our hope is if we can get that to work... Uh, we will upsize that quite a bit and that'll become, you know, a branch of our operation.
0: And being able to, you guys are looking at direct marketing and stuff like that, or what do you kind of think with it? Or for the time being, it's just going to go into the regular production because yeah, Mitchell, you've been raising cattle for quite a while.
1: Yeah. So I raised Holstein's uh, feeders. So we're, we switched over to beef cows. Um, And that's a little bit different because I, you know, I raised Holstein's and my goal was to get them as big as possible, as fast as possible. So I was sending a bunch of grain to them. Um Brad told me about the cover crop, how we could, you know, start feeding the cattle that and it could work off of that, but it could benefit the soil. Um so that's kind of the idea is right now we're at the point where we'd like to grow the herd where we'll probably keep the heifers. Um, but we'll sell the bulls off as steers, you know, when they're weaned and just kind of start to grow it. But and with thing also too, yeah, corn's $7 right now. But if it tanks again, if we can pencil out feeding out the steers or, you know, any of them that we decide to sell and, and market that, it's just another option to you know have as a, a safety i would say
0: but for the most part now you're just thinking kind of cow calf right yeah more so the angle not trying to do a grass fed or uh you no, know anything like that
1: it's i can't say we won't but um i think the goal right now is just try and get our herd up to a decent size of cow calf and then if we decide to do the grass fed i mean the goal with the cow calf is they'll be off a of cover crop off of hay, pasture, not feeding a lot of grain to them, you know, keeping them healthy and everything, but not, they're not going to be feedlot cattle.
0: Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you guys need more, more work to do anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, it makes sense to yeah. me that, you know, why not have some cows? I mean, yeah. shoot, but I mean, you guys, young bucks that it's like, well, let's do it. Um, and I'm assuming, is it now part of your digging into soil health? And obviously the fifth principle of soil health is to integrate livestock. Is that part of the decision?
1: Or- yeah. So, um, I was not full-time on the farm until last September, September of 21, I think. Well, I came back to the farm full-time and I always wanted cattle. I always liked cattle. And I told Brad that was kind of part of the deal. If I come back, we're going to have cattle. That's what I want. And he figured out how to make it work. And that was, you know, he found a book. I don't remember what it's called, but um, that described the breakdown of the manure and everything. And it was very intriguing of how well it worked. And I was like, all right, yeah, there's, there's a lot more benefits. They say at least to this than I thought. So it was one of those we could try and,
0: and make it as big and as, you know, profitable and as best as we can. Brad, what was that book? Do you remember? What What are some of the other resources that have been really beneficial for you?
2: That book would have been uh, The Drought Resilient Farm from Dale Stricter. Hmm. That was a quite interesting one. Yeah, Dale's you know, a good dude. And I was never one to really like to read much books, but I got uh, Gabe Brown's Dirt to Soil. And it was just, it seemed like it was wrote different. Like it was talking to you and it was wrote from a farmer and a lot easier to read than most of it and interesting.
0: So... But being, but especially, it's interesting on you guys' side with like the livestock piece. Are there other g- people in the area that like livestock's kind of common around here? Or, there, I mean, there's a lot of barns, and I know back in the day there would have been a ton of livestock around here. But is there that much anymore?
2: There used to be a lot of dairy farms around here. It seemed like every farm used to be a dairy farm, and that those numbers have gone down a lot. You know, there's probably only a handful of dairy farms in Washington County now. Uh, so some of them had transitioned to beef farming. There's not as many around here as there used to be dairy farm. And I wouldn't say that there's a whole lot of pasturing. You know, it seems like every field around here has a fence that's really old that, you know, people take out. So there had to be cows on the land or cattle on the land at one point but not many people are using their row crop ground as pasture too.
0: Yeah, but now you guys are looking at utilizing that cover as an additional benefit and stuff. And one of the things that you were all hyped up about showing me was your 60-inch corn and interseeding and I'm like, this is awesome. Like I've been doing this 60-inch corn too. How'd that turn out, you know, and what are what are your thoughts on, you know, getting more creative by interseeding cover crops in late spring and doing things like 60-inch corn to make it work.
2: Right. So we had quite a bit of cover crop growth in our 60 inch corn, and that would have been really good for grazing. Uh, we plan on interseeding quite a bit more this year because we did see, I mean, benefits just yield wise and, you know, soil health. Our 30 inch corn with interseed did beat our 60 inch, so I think our 60 inches it's going to be tough in this area. You know, we're on pretty poor soil. And it's we're gonna have to balance that out between, you know, the biomass for grazing, what that's worth, and the yield.
0: Cause I forget, were you doing straight up sixty-inch corn where it's every other row, or was it plant two, skip one? I forget what you were doing.
2: It was plant two, skip one.
0: Okay. So but your point being that when you pack those plants that tight together, when you're cause typically in sixty-inch corn, you take out a row. And you want to keep the same amount of total plants per acre. So you're packing them into those rows that you still have on. And because of your sandy, light soils, it just doesn't have the water holding capacity to support that tightly packed plants. That's what you're getting at, right? Right, right. Yeah, and so we tried some would have been regular population
2: and then the higher population. I think if we go try it again, I might try to keep three
0: on, turn one off. Okay. So three on one off, then you've got just a little bit of area to get some cover down in there. But to your point, the key opportunity is going to be, if you're going to be grazing cattle in the fall, then now you've got some diverse covers out there and then maybe it'll make economic sense. Even if you lose a little bit of yield on the corn, but you make it up with the grazing now, maybe it'll be able to pencil out.
2: Yeah. It's kind of where we're sitting. Uh, we really like the idea of getting a inter- interseeding the corn and having the cover out there. Cause it seems like a pretty well balanced diet for the cows in the fall and just being able to harvest the field and turn them out and they'd be out there doing their thing. And
0: is... the 60 inch, I mean, I'm assuming you've done it just pretty small scale and just one year and like, how'd you seed it and where did that decision come?
2: So we actually have two years of data from it. One was in a test plot for variety trial and all that. And that one wasn't too far off of the average from the plot. This year we did full length. Uh, I think there were like acre acre plots or something like that. And that one did take a little bit of a hit, but it was also on the outside and I the deer loved it. You go out there anytime and I got a dog and all of a sudden he'd just be chasing a deer on the 60-inch corn because you could you could see almost from one side of the field to the other because it was spread out enough.
0: Yeah. So those deer have a lot more room that they can walk through the corn and they can they're like, hey, this is great. We kind of got some protection, but we can walk kind of right through this as well. Mitchell, what do you think when Brad's first like, let's do 60 inch corn. And you're like, what? Or what, what was your first reaction?
1: Yeah. So actually I was planting that field that day and he says, Hey, when you get to the flag, stop. And then unplug, I think it was row three and five or something like that. And I was like, why? And he's like, we're gonna plant 60 inch corn. I'm like, for what purpose? And he was like, just just do it. I'm like, no. And he, he wanted the whole plot and I just wasn't understanding it. And it was so late in the night that, I mean, I'd planted a hundred acres that day with the six row. So it's 10 o'clock at night and we're trying to get it done. And he's like, all this come up there. And the whole time we had two rows unplugged, and you're planting this acre plot, and the planter just
0: beep 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 because it's got two rows that aren't planting. Yeah, it's, and so was, the precision planting's freaking out. Yeah. Your was like, hey, you're not planting, and you're like, I know. Yes,
1: and I I was I got out of the seed. I was like, Brad, you just do it. I don't understand why we're doing this. And I was just it was tiring, and I was like, I don't know. And it it, it turned around, and the cover crop came up, and I finally started to get it. But I was like, are we we're we gonna start planting sixty <laughs> inch corn on everything? And he's like, Well, no. I'm like well then why are we trying he's like because i want to and it was just that was probably one of the conflict things but you know it, it paid off and he he got his test out of it i was a little happy to see the 30 inch corn still beat to 60 but <laughs>
0: <laughs> but at least then you had you were i mean but it was good to try some new things and and it's like well let's give it a shot you did a small scale i mean yeah. yeah so maybe it lost a little bit but it's always good to try new things
2: yeah you gotta do something out of the ordinary
0: now, when Mitchell gets all of his cattle herd going and he needs more cover, now you'd be like, "See, sixty-inch corn. This is what we got to do." And now he's going to come back and he's going to be so happy right. that it, you've got him on the sixty-inch corn bandwagon.
2: Yeah, yeah. We also saw, you know, yield benefits from it, and it was quite interesting when that was an irrigated field. So I'd always check soil moisture before we irrigated, and there was a lot more soil moisture where it was interseeded. I mean, you go and it was you could see it visually. It was quite a bit of difference.
0: But most people listening would be like, "Wait, there's." these interseeded covers out there that most people would look at as weeds that would be stealing moisture, but you're saying the complete opposite.
2: Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had read that, you know, having the interseeded cover crop would retain moisture and all, but it was one of those things you almost had to see it to believe it type deal. And so we did uh, it would have been 30 inch, not interseeded and 30 inch interseeded too. And the 30 inch interseeded had won the plot. Wow. Even versus the
0: non interseeded, your normal 30 inch corn.
2: And one of the big things was we had tar spot really bad this year here and the corn that was interseeded, it held up a lot better. It was, I mean, it was one of those things, healthier plant from healthier soil maybe helped. I, I'm not sure if that was
0: the answer or not. Imagine that implementing the principle of diversity and it, it works again. But what, um, what kind of species are you planting and how are you, how are you getting this put on? What equipment? So that was a, would have been a turnip, kale, and annual ryegrass
2: that we just put on a spinner spreader on a three-point of a tractor and spun it on and then watered it in about a half inch. Okay. And that's pretty early or how, how tall is the corn at this time? At that time, I think it was like V5 to V6. It was a little later than we wanted to. We're going to change a few things for next year.
0: Because now you guys have, it sounded like now you've got a 12-row planter, right? So 12 row planter with all the precision planting stuff on it. So now from the cab, yeah, you could just tell it, Hey, plant this row at zero and then it would be okay. And it wouldn't beep at you the whole time. But, um, yeah, when, when did that planter come about? I guess we kind of missed out on that, on that part of the story.
2: We bought the 12 row last spring. It was kind of a weird story. We finished planting corn, put our Carhartt coats on and went and bought a planter at the end of May. You know, it it turned really cold here and it was kind of raining for the first chance we had and uh, bought it off of Facebook Marketplace guy was, you know, getting ready to retire. Where at?
0: The guy was close here? Where was he? It was about an hour and a half north
1: of us. Um, I remember I was at work and, you know, I was working, not on Facebook. and uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, on Facebook Marketplace, looking for planters. Right, yeah.
1: yep. And, you know, we anytime you'd find a planter, you'd you ask the guy, nope, it's sold. Well, it had been up for like three hours and I sent it to Brad. I was like, get ready, we're going tonight. Like, at least go look at it. And we showed up at Grandpa's and we're like, hey, we're going to look at this planter. You want to go? Well. What do you need a planter for? And you know they they couldn't understand why we were wanting to buy a planter after we just finished planting corn. And the weird part was, when we went up and got it, drove it home. When we got home, we hopped in the baler and started baling hay, and it just didn't seem right. You know, you, you had hay on the ground, and you're going to buy a planter. And um, but after the way the market, the used equipment market went, you know, we it's were great very, timing. Yeah, yeah, you got in
0: right ahead of the timing yep. that the equipment's really gone up.
1: Yep. Yeah, it was. You know, it was hard because you had two corn planters sitting in the barn for the winter, and you're like, I don't know. This is, you know. Is it gonna pay off? And then it did, and uh, you know we were happy. You look at the price of them now, and you're like, man, one if you could get one. This the way this spring's going, and two it was. We got a pretty good deal on it the way stuff
0: went. So did you get the six row sold? What'd you call it? The super six. Super six. You guys still have it or you got it sold?
1: Nope. Brad sold that uh, probably early March. Um, Actually benefited us this year selling that because they couldn't get parts. So the guy bought it for the parts and was going to strip everything off of it and put it on his planter. He couldn't get parts in time. So that helped us sell it.
0: You only really need one corn planter. Right. Yep. Um, No. Okay. So you mentioned something about your grandparents there, because it sounds like before you guys came back, they were fairly involved in uh, what's their kind of role now? What's their thought and how do they play into the story? So
1: grandma and grandpa are the trustees. Um, When dad passed away, they became the trustees and they always said that they were going to run the farm until, you know, one day we decided to take over. If we wanted to sell it, we could sell it, but they wanted that opportunity to be there for us. Um, So they're still we still have to get approval from them type thing. Like they're they're still in charge, but we're making the decisions and have proved to them like we can do it. But they're just kind of the trustees, you know, they got to overlook everything. So we got to go to them to get a check.
0: Yeah. And what if... Uh- I mean, how's that looked like now, like their thoughts on some of these practices you guys are doing and things like that? Like, I mean, obviously I'm sure they're excited that you guys are making the overall operation work, but what about some of these, like the no-till and the covers and stuff like that? I mean, I'm sure your grandpa's probably like, I don't know about this whole thing. Yeah, Brad, what do you, what do you think?
2: So I think at this point, grandpa's bought in quite a bit. I think he was a little skeptical about it at the beginning, but, you know, he did do a little bit of cover crops back then. And he really did like the idea of having something out there in the summer after, you know, we bailed straw protecting the ground. So after we did a few years and showed him the yield results and everything, he he bought in.
0: Now he's he's on the bandwagon here now with you guys too.
2: Grandma oh. grandma could get a little skeptical, when we were out there planting and you know real tall clover or something like that. She, but then once they got killed off and the corn came up and it looked good, then and. That helped out. She, yeah, yeah.
0: It's all well, just so much the visual and what you're seeing from the road and what she's seeing, you know, driving by. And obviously I'm sure she's like worried about you guys too, that they don't want you guys to have a bad experience or to lose money on on this kind of stuff. But um that's that's interesting that she's like on board, but kinda, but like yeah. No, it's an interesting dynamic. Cause like you said, you know, the, they're letting you guys just go and do this and you don't have anybody else saying, well, I don't know about that. Or pulling back on the reins. Like you guys don't really have that besides directly with each other. And it sounds like you're not really pulling back on the reins on each other or have you been, Is or how, how do the decisions go between the, the two of you?
1: No, I mean, I guess I could say I'm all in, uh, you know, that was kind of my thing. I had a job with retirement and everything and could retire there when I was 50 and, uh, we decided, you know, if I can come back here and make the farm big or at least, you know, successful enough to continue on for our next generation. Because that's, you know, a big thing that me and Brad want is to be able to have something to pass down. Um, so, yeah, we're we're kind of all in. And and I feel like you have to, in today's age, you kind of have to do things a little differently. You can't just do it the typical way. And, um, you know, it's back to the cover crop thing with grandma and grandpa. They're, they're very skeptical, like Brad said, but I remember we had one field of beans. He planted both of them. Grandpa usually plants the beans and the one field was not cover crop and the field right next to it was. And I think it was a 15 bushel difference average five, five bushel difference average on, I don't know, 20 acre field, you know, and that was enough. You told grandpa that no, the whole town found out just, oh yeah, cover crops makes a
0: difference, you know And it is. Oh
1: so gosh, he's, it's awesome. a, he's all excited about it now. And, uh, he's, he's,
0: he'll talk it up. That's for sure. So now grandpa's got the old boys in town all yapping and they're all talking about you guys. And they're like, what are these young bucks out there doing this cover crop stuff? But he's got them all hyped up now. He's telling stories.
2: Yeah, it was quite interesting. The first year we planted corn green, there was uh they were doing county road work, and you saw the county truck go by once, and like a lot of the road workers around here are farmers. Sure. And all of a sudden, you saw it pass by again and pass by again, and they're like, "What the heck is he doing out there? Like, what are these young, you know, these young farmers doing? They don't know what they're doing." And oh, we've been told many times, "Well, that's not gonna work. Well, you should have plowed
0: it under." You know. Just so many people because it's, yeah, they've never seen it before. And you guys are, I mean, how have you had those conversations? Are you, do you just kind of blow it off or are you now like trying to, you know, teach them more about the stuff or you just kind of stay out of it or kind of what's your approach to that, Brad?
2: Uh, it depends a little bit on the person, you know, if, if they're diehard and You know, tillage, that's the only way to do it. Yeah, it's not really worth trying to have the conversation with. But if they actually want to learn something about it and they're interested, I'll have the conversation with them a little bit and try to teach them some.
0: Yeah, that's good. What? So, I mean... Yeah, Mitchell, you were talking about kind of the future vision for the farm and stuff like that. And we'll get into that. But I mean, so you you mentioned the girlfriend. Now I see you got a wedding ring on. So what's your wife think of this stuff that you left this job and now you're back to doing this farm and stuff. And now you want to get more livestock, which means less time that you get to go out on vacation with her unless unless, you know, at least you got Brad that he, you know, you guys are able to kind of tag team things here too. But what's she think about this?
1: So we actually got married uh, June... July of 20. I'm going to get in trouble for that one though. Um, and we had twins in January of 21. And uh, it was a big thing to me to be able to be on the farm with my dad. I mean, if my dad had a full-time job off the farm, I'd have never known him if he died at the same time. So that's one thing that, you know, I always, Taylor's my wife, I told her, I'm like, you know, it, it really hit me having the kids. I'm like, I want to be able to take them with me. I want to be able to do that. And um, she was actually more for me leaving there than I was. You know, I, I brought it up to her and I was like, it's never gonna happen, you know? Cause Brad Brad always told me, he's like, what, what would it take for you to come back to the farm full-time? And I always joked around, I was like 6,000 acres. Like, it's just not doable. Like it's, you know, trying to support two families here is not a possibility. And, uh, you know, we were gonna need a, we had a green cart guy that was part-time that retired and we needed to hire somebody. And, you know, we started kind of penciling it out and what was going to make sense for me to stay there and earn a wage and pay a guy here when, you know, I, I feel like if, if you're an owner, you're going to put more effort into it than a hired hand. And uh, she pushed me to do it. I was scared because, you know, she's a stay-at-home mom. So I was the only income and I had it made. And, you know, she's like, just just do it. Just do it. And she's very involved in the cattle side she really likes it and she's always bringing the kids over and it's it's been great it's one of the best things ever happened you know yeah it, not making a whole lot of money farming's not you know you're not going to be rich off of it but just being able to have your family with you and my son was here the other day working we were working on the planter and he just having the time of his life he's there 15 months I think and it scared the crap out of me the other day we're working on the planter and it's 30 inch planter and it was up he ran right through the rows you know and I'm like oh and it, it, he's so small, it doesn't even bother him. He's just running around, grabs up the tools, hands them to you. It's it's great. It's you know so
0: your twins are one boy, one girl, then yep, it sounds like yep, okay. Yep. That's awesome. So now you've got like the family back on. And your wife comes from a farm too. That's the cattle tie in, or she's not from the farm, or what?
1: No. So I mean, her her parents grew up on farms. Uh her parents actually own a cabinetry business. So there's there's no farm there, but Um, we've been together seven years and she's always been very interested in it and and likes the animals. She did have 4H animals growing up, but she wasn't on a farm.
0: So So now she gets to have kind of that, the farm life to it. But yeah, I mean, I'm in a similar situation where, you know, our family's 700 acres, not near big enough for, you know, that my parents are out there full time. I mean, that's their main kind of income and yeah, there's not enough room to just be able to come back. But now how's that been able to pencil out that you're like, okay, might be a little bit tight, but now you're diversifying. Now you're going, but how was that able to pencil out? Obviously no one, it's going to be a little tight. Yep. Uh, It's... (laughs)
1: very interesting. And, you know, I was very nervous because I was the only income for the family. And, you know, I was like, I I don't want to fail you. And I'm like, the last thing I want to do is come back to the farm full time and not work and have to go get a job again. That's the absolute last thing I want to do. Well, we have a truck, a semi, and I've spent a lot of time on that custom, you know, doing custom stuff. And we've, we've, I don't think we realized the amount we could do extra, you know, you don't necessarily have to just put the crop in the ground. You can go do other stuff. And, and me and Brad are always willing to take that on. And that was one of those things that was like, you know what, if something happens, we'll figure it out. And that's just kind of how we had to. And, and I honestly would not have been able to do it without the support of her because I'm like, you know, there's going to be a lot of late nights and she's just do it, just do it. You just need to do it. You'll be happier. And uh, it's been one of the best things ever.
0: I've got a four month old daughter at home and she's a handful enough. I can't imagine doing it with two little kids running around. She's got to be a saint. She is. She's a stay at home mom. And, you know, every now and then I got to
1: watch him and I, I don't know. I told her, I'm like, I don't know how you do this. You know, now that they're running they're not even walking, they run everywhere. It's, it's hard because one goes left and one goes right. And, uh. You know i had cattle before we had the kids and that's when we kind of quit it was i just needed to pull away and you know didn't know what it was gonna be like to have kids let alone have two at the same time and um now we have the cows and they both love them but that's hot fence and they want to just run up there and grab the fence you know so it's that's an interesting thing because she's at home and they love being outside she says one day darcy my daughter went running off to the see the cows well she's got to run right up to the fence well dalton's over here on his you know little bike or whatever. And she's like, I don't know which way to go. It's just, you know, it's, I'm like, well,
0: props to you. Cause there's no way I could do it. That's awesome. Yeah. So to be able to have the kids kind of back in and being able to really kind of add on to that family legacy, you know, that's kind of been a, not, not the typical, like direct linear kind of family legacy that it's kind of in and around. And now you guys are really able to make this work. And what's, what's interesting on this story, you know, is that, I mean, Brad, you were the initial guy to kind of take the reins and kind of have to run the show. And now Mitchell's back around and maybe you guys are making more of the decisions kind of as a, as a team, but there for a long time. I mean, it was you. And he would help as much as he could, you know, having a full-time job, you're kind of constrained
2: a little bit, but it's been a lot nicer, you know, having two sides of every, you know, we have a problem. There's two minds going at it. Uh, We get different. Sometimes we have different ideas
0: and that's almost better. Cause we kind of, it makes better ideas almost. What's the decision-making process look like? Are you guys trying to figure out how to kind of structure it or is it just kind of, you know, it's just a quick conversation and it just kind of move on or how, how does it work?
2: We usually have a conversation about stuff. Uh, Most of it is structured, I guess I would say.
1: I guess I would kind of say I'm more of the operations idea. You know, Brad is the brains behind everything and says, this is what's going to happen. This is where it's going to go but I'm more of the guy that's, you know, I know it needs to be done, hop in this piece of equipment and do it, hop in the semi. You know, a big thing that's really helped out was we move a lot of grain in the winter and Brad would move the grain in the winter, plus he plows snow, plus he has all the shop projects to do. So that I think helped out a lot that I can be in a piece of equipment and I don't look at it any differently. It's, you know, just as an important job to get that done while Brad's doing meetings or doing other stuff that's all on him. He's better at it than I am. He's, he's got all the relationships already built up. Um, so that's kind of how I look at it. I'm more of the cattle side just cause I've had the experience with it, but yeah, I would definitely say we both, you know, hit ideas off of each other, but I would say Brad's more of the brains behind it. And I'm just kind of the the grunt, I guess you could say.
0: <laughs> how's it, how's it been? Cause I, I'm sure it's got to be a really interesting dynamic when you go walking into the FSA office or into the bank or like when you guys are going in there. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a interesting, like kind of dynamic thoughts on that, Brad, on like how that's kind of been, or, or maybe when it was your first time and you're like, here's a 19 year old kid walking in there saying, Hey, I'm, I'm a full-time farmer.
2: It is interesting uh, when we go to like FSA and all that stuff, grandpa comes along. And so the first few times it, they took some adjustment and everything, but now it's interesting because we'll go to like a meeting or something or a grower's meeting and somebody will start asking grandpa a bunch of questions. And he's like, well, you need to ask him and it'll be, you know, an older guy asking me. So that, it makes it interesting. It's it's odd seeing us being so young running the firm. I don't know anybody as young as us around here at least as doing it. So it definitely takes some it's a it's a change in thought. I mean, that's
0: of. how it is for me. I mean, like I'm pretty involved in like our family operation and and you know, help to make a lot of decisions, but it's dad. I mean, he's the one that's running the farm. He's out there actually you know, writing the checks for the, for the majority of the stuff. I've got my own land and I'm writing checks for my stuff, but for the major farm, I mean, yeah, he's the one doing it. I'm just kind of there as the young guy, you know, that is just there to kind of help. And I'm the grunt, you know, so totally, you know, opposite. And yeah, I mean, but it's because of the circumstance and you guys have been able to take it and run. But I mean, Brad, what's your vision for the future and what, or what, what drives you, I guess, too, and why do you want to make this work so bad?
2: Uh, especially once we like kids, we kind of more or less look towards the future and setting stuff up for that. And uh, I don't necessarily want to see us be like the biggest farm in the area, but you know, we're kind of pushing towards how we can get the most out of what we do. You know, we realize that we're probably not going to be the biggest farm in the area, and and just kind of looking to diversify and everything, especially you know, bringing cattle in. So now we have a piece of ground that at one point only grow a row crop. So from like April to October, be growing corn to where we've put a cover crop in there and there's a growing crop. So we're getting something out of that. And then we add cattle onto it. So that's, and you get more out of it. So that's kind of the way we're going.
0: Yeah. Mitchell, your thoughts there on Brad's kind of vision or what's your vision for the future. And then, yeah, especially with the cattle and kind of the tie in and stuff there, you know, how's that kind of tie. And then what, what do you think about, you know, rotating the cattle and mob grazing and things like that?
1: Uh, So, yeah, I would agree with Brad. You know, I don't have to be the biggest. When we were 3,200 acres as a kid, you know, you walk into school my dad farms 3200 acres you know and you're the big guy and when we lost that it was really hard to grasp that you know we're no longer the big farmer but as you grow older you start to realize it's not about how many acres you have it's the best you can do on the acres you have and i'm honestly grateful that we did lose that acres because we were able to kind of figure it out and, and get started um you know i would like to gain some more acres the cattle thing I definitely is, think is going to come in um, mob grazing. I've never tried it, and Brad's actually done more of the research towards it and has convinced me it's hard to transfer over to pasture because I was the guy that wanted the cattle to get as big as possible as fast as possible. We're, now we're not looking at that. We're just you know trying to benefit other things. Um, so uh, we watched uh, something on the like cover crop summit the other day. a video a guy had he would do he would do two and a half acre lots. And he put five hundred head on two and a half acres, Wow, I and mean, for a day. and I you know, I looked at my pasture that's two and a half acres, and it's like there's no like five hundred head on that. I'm like, no way, but it's they and they saw benefits out of it, and it's it'll be a lot of work moving cattle like that. but I definitely think it'll be interesting and
0: at least keep us busy and hopefully work. So the key thing with all that for context for everyone listening to is, you know, this whole thing, it's about mimicking nature. I mean, that's what we're trying to do, this whole soil health thing. And when you have that high stocking density where there's a lot lot of pounds of animal, a lot of livestock in a small area, it's supposed to mimic like the buffalo. That they would have been pretty packed together and they would be constantly moving to get new grass and to move away from predators and stuff. So, that's the whole concept here, you know, to be able to do that. And then, of course, as they go, they eat down the grass, which then it's able to grow back. But they're also, of course, dropping manure and urine and stuff like that in the saliva. So, it's feeding back to that soil microbiome and and of course in that cattle gut, they've got a lot of biology and stuff in their room. And so that's the whole the whole concept, you know, for everyone that's that's listening and stuff. But so it sounds like now much you're, you know paying more attention to learning on this and digging deeper yourself. Um, Did you go down to the no-till conference and stuff too, or go into some of these events or kind of what's your take been on this?
1: I haven't yet. Um, The only thing I really have gone to is the farm machinery show. Uh, Brad went down to that and I struggle sometimes to sit and listen. My mind wanders a lot, you know, so I have to be kind of more hands-on, but I've
0: gotten better at it. So Brad, what was your thoughts on it? I mean, you're going down there to National No-Till this year in Louisville, I think it was. So a couple hour drive and you're walking in there by yourself? Yeah, me and my girlfriend went down. So it was it was kind of a little getaway. It was
2: interesting because I would never gone to something like that. And, you know, we were in a room with a lot of high caliber people and it was really nice. It was the first time I'd been in the room with a lot of people with the same mindset. So it it was interesting. Got to learn a lot, got to hear a lot. I like doing it.
0: it What'd a... your girlfriend think of uh, the date idea of going down to a farm show? What'd she think?
2: Uh, she didn't complain. She liked it. Uh, it was a good getaway and everything. She actually enjoys the stuff too, so she was interested in some of it.
0: That's awesome. Sounds like a keeper. Okay. <laughs> so no, because I skipped out on uh, on National No Till this year with having my daughter and stuff. I've got to kind of pick and choose a little bit. But what's your kind of final thoughts or especially as you when you talk to other young guys that are back in the operation or other or young families and stuff like that what do you what do you tell them or what's your takeaway or, or thoughts to everyone listening to this Mitchell starting with start with you
1: uh I guess I would say you know especially being family uh it there's times it can definitely be hard um but you just got to see your end goal and you know that you know bad years and I, I honestly I don't look at the grain market anymore because it it's one thing that can stress you out when there's not really a whole lot you can do about it. Um I trust bread with all the grain and everything. And I can come here and, and enjoy life and yeah, you, you'll have bad years. you have good years. But it's the type of thing that I wouldn't give up. Um always working to try and make it the best we can. And uh you know providing for the next generation is one of my biggest goals to where if this is a possibility, around here, family farms are starting to kind of fall apart. There's, they're just not there anymore. Um, and the bigger farms are coming in and starting to take ground. And they can come in and they can buy the ground. Well, we can't. We don't, we don't have that behind us. So, you know, if we can do stuff like this to kind of plant our roots and, you know, say we're here,
0: that's, that's what I want to do. That's awesome. Brad, what do you think on uh, takeaway to other people listening or, or talking to other young guys that are on their operations? I'd have to say, don't be afraid to take a chance. Do something out of the ordinary on something,
2: and yeah, you may fail, but you learn a lot from failures, and just pay attention to it. Look at the details of it, and learn from it. Mm-hmm. I know we've learned a lot from our failures. We've had our handful of failures. Nah. But it's, <laughs> it's, never. it's what makes it better, though. I know the first year we planted rye, we had a spreader cart from the co-op, and the belt came off the spreaders, and... Uh, it wasn't spreading. So we had windrows of rye out there that we didn't realize till next spring. So yeah, we got some some crap for that. And actually, I had, so I had taken pictures of it and this was like three years back and I was just doing some research and looking at winter camelina. And I remembered I had taken a picture of this rye that we bought from our cover crop guy and I had this weed and I'm like, what the heck is this weed? And I'm looking at it, looking back at the pictures and it's winter camelina. Well, so now from that mistake, I know that winter camelina will overwinter here, and oh, wow. we had planted that rye pretty late. It would have been November-ish around here, which is
0: kind of late. But it was a little thick. Yeah, <laughs> Sounds it, like was it was definitely a thick, thick in, in the that strip. area. Yeah. If it was
1: just dropping all that rye. The lines were straight, though. The auto steer was working, so
0: <laughs> nice straight green strips going all the way through the field. Everyone's like, what the heck? But at least it looks nice. It looked like little prairie strips or something like that going through the field all perfectly straight.
2: Yeah. It made it interesting because we, we ran into some issues. We didn't get it all killed, all the rye killed. And then so we had some of the rye actually come through the soybeans and reseed and then come into the wheat the following year, which was quite an issue because we grow seed wheat. And so that was a big no-no. So that was one of our challenges that we're kind of
0: overcoming. All part of it. want to say again, I mean, in wrapping up here, like you guys' story is super inspiring, super inspiring to me. I think we'll be incredibly inspiring to everyone listening and just commend you guys for the stuff that you're doing and just pumped to see where it can go, you know, and, and how this can grow from you guys and, and how other people can say, Hey, if these, you know, if these guys can go and take this and figure it out at, you know, 20 years old, basically, if they can figure it out at 20 years old and make this work and, and expand the operation already and have this long-term vision, why can't I, you know, so I think that's huge. Yeah. Thanks for coming out. It was good talking to you. Thank you. Well, everyone, that's for field work today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Our show is produced by Todd Melby with lots of great help from Anna Canny. Kristen Schmidt runs our social media and Lauren Humpert is our project coordinator. Thanks to all the technical directors at American Public Media who help us record and mix our show. Be sure to check us out on social media or at Fieldwork Talk on all the usual channels. And we'd love it if you wrote us a review to help other people find us. Don't forget that we love hearing from you. So give us a call. Leave us your comments, your questions at 651-228-4810, 651-228-4810. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.